Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that um, someone spoke to us, uh, and maybe even many people, many different people, uh, spoke to us, and yet you used all of it to convert us, oh Lord God, to uh, uh, change us. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the opportunities that have been, um, whether to get uh, the full, uh, clear gospel out or just a part of it. Um, we thank you for Julie and the opportunity she has with the middle school gals. Um, I just pray that you, for those uh, young women, that you would grant them uh, grace to know you, to know your love, to know you, Lord Jesus, uh, to know the forgiveness and the power and the grace and the, the wonder and the awe that is in you. And so we just pray for that. Thank you for Jeffrey and just the opportunity he had with a coworker. Uh, pray that you would give him further opportunities to explore what does he believe. And here's what the truth is um, from the scriptures, oh Lord God. So we pray for that and pray for uh, this lady that Brendan Steve encountered on a walk, oh Lord God, uh, uh, that you would please, um, even the little bit that was said would uh, get her thinking and um, that you would draw her to yourself. Uh, Lord, there are many, many people in our lives. Um, help us to speak and to be awkward, um, but to speak of you. Uh, because we love you, um, and we're so grateful for how you've saved us, Lord Jesus. Bless this morning as we uh, continue to talk about knowing you, and uh, pray that you would bless, uh, that we would speak honorably of who you are, rightly of who you are, and that you would be glorified. We ask these things in your name. Amen. All right, so we are continuing to talk about knowing God. Just a little bit of review. We talked first about how the goal of human existence is knowing God. Uh, John 17, 3, Jesus says, um, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We talked about those different senses of knowing. You can know facts, which is necessary. You need to know facts about God. You need to know the truth about who God is. That's the notional sense of knowing God. Uh, we talked about the relational sense. Um, uh, do you have a peaceful relationship with God? Everyone knows God in the sense that they have a relationship with him, but the question is, is that relationship of enmity or of peace? And peace only comes through the gospel. Uh, we talked about affectional knowledge in the sense that uh, when we hear facts about God, uh, we don't want them to just sit in our um, brains, but we want them to move our affections, our dispositions. Uh, that is how we are designed. And not only our dispositions, but also our wills when we talk about actional knowledge. Um, how, do we, how do we know as a skill? How do we know God in, in a skillful way uh, and what that looks like? We talked about um, how Eden uh, and the new creation, uh, it's all about knowing God face to face, that relational intimacy. So we've said that knowing God as God designed us to know him means having a peaceful and intimate relationship with him through his initiative, um, uh, that we talked about being known by God in that sense, in which we increasingly know more about him, that's our notional knowledge, such that our affections are changed by this knowledge, that's affectional knowledge, or love, you might say. Uh, such that we respond to him properly, and that's actions, um, actional knowledge. So the, all those senses come together. We talked about where do the sources of our knowledge of God come from? Uh, of course, the relational knowledge is through the gospel, through the Son. We talked about that. Uh, we talked about, well, okay, what about notional and even affectional knowledge? We can talk about creation. We can talk about history. But most importantly, we're going to talk about the words of God, uh, direct and indirect. God can speak directly to people from a voice from heaven. We've seen that. The scriptures attest to that. But uh, where we're going to hear from God today uh, and, and throughout our lives is the scriptures. We're going to hear from the scriptures, uh, the recorded words of God, the inspired words of God. And that's how we grow um, in knowledge primarily about who God is. Um, and then last week we talked about, well, how do we speak about God? We're using human language. How do we speak about him rightly? And we talked about how God in and of himself is a communicator. Uh, he is a speaker and word and breath um, to use some of the language that scripture uses of the spirit, of the son, and of the father. Um, so God is inherently communicative. communicative. That started before creation happened. Uh, but he shares that communicative ability with his creatures such that they can speak of him and they can speak of him adequately using human language. So we talked about that last week. So now we want to start jumping in and transitioning. We kind of spent this last segment, uh, last few weeks, in, in kind of setting up how do we uh, investigate properly and rightly knowing God and knowing more about him, knowing more about his attributes and his character. 
Uh, but now we're transitioning into actually doing that. Let's do, let's do some exploration. Let's do some investigation. Let's talk about our great God. And so uh, the, uh, this week and probably the next, I want to talk about uh, this idea. As we are seeking to know God and talking about him, what do we call God? How do we talk to God? How do we, um, not just talking to God in the sense of prayer, but how do we address him? And when we start talking about how we address him, the scripture, remember we talked about this last week, the scripture gives us categories and ways of thinking about God. And even when we ask the question, how we address him, how we um, call him by name, uh, the names and the titles of God that scripture gives, give us some, not, not, um, not everything, but they give us a starting point of talking of, about who this God is. So even in the addresses and the way that Scripture talks about um, how we should address God uh, by his names and titles gives us some indication of his character. Not everything, because if, um, if I just call, let's say I just uh, use the name, um, I'm going to pick on someone. Let's say I just use the name Brenda, right? So I just use the name Brenda. Does that communicate anything about who Brenda is? Not really. Uh, it gives a tag, and we, knowing Brenda, uh, uh, are able to fill that tag with all of what we know from knowing her about her character. Okay. Similarly with God, the names of God and the titles of God get us a little way. They get us a little bit farther uh, than that. Um, but more what we're going to be doing is investigating, okay, yeah, we have the names of God, we have the titles of God, and that gives us a little bit of info but what does God tie with his name? What does God tie with his character? But it is helpful and it is instructive uh, to use, to talk about the names and the titles of God. Now, as we do this, uh, let's just, um, even before we talk about some of those names and titles, let's talk about how scripture talks about calling God by name, okay? So go to Exodus 20. Ten Commandments. Ten words uh, that are kind of the, the bill of rights, so to speak, for the covenant and covenant principles for Israel. Um, Exodus 20, verse 7. So I'm going to go ahead and read that. Yeah. And literally, it's, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God or you shall not lift up the name of the Lord your God for the worthless. Uh, that's, that's how it like re literally reads in the Hebrew. Don't lift up the name of your God for the worthless. What would that mean? Especially as we think about like using God's name, his titles, what would it mean to lift up God's name for the worthless or for the vain? Yeah, using it thoughtlessly. Okay, um, because why? Because there's great, it's God. Uh, we're talking about uh, uh, God, the creator. We are talking about the omnipotent one, the omniscient one. We are, uh, he is high and lifted up. And so we talk about him with reverence. We don't want to talk about him in a silly or trivial way. Okay, so that would be one way. Any, uh, Tony, you were going to say something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so if we tie, uh, and this is, I think, some of the context of which Exodus is talking about, if we tie God's name for, um, uh, tie it to silly things, or, or worthless things, uh, common things, even, just common things, um, then we can denigrate God's name. So, for example, right, like, um, think about, um, even in the aspect of prayer, right, Lord, I want you to, um, you know, I, I know you call me to pray in your name. I know that you love to bless your children. Uh, I would like you to give me a million dollars. It's like, well, okay, you could ask for that, but you're tying and invoking God's name for something that's, you know, kind of silly. If it, you're just spending it on your passions and pleasures, um, you're lifting it up for something that's ultimately worthless rather than honoring his name, all right? So that's one of the commands and ideas we get in Scripture. When we, when we address God, when we talk to God, when we address, give him 
uh, his, when we invoke his titles and his names, we want to do that reverently, reverently, not worthlessly. Uh, let's look at another Old Testament passage. Go to Zechariah uh, towards the end. You can sing the song if you need to. I have to do that still. But go to Zechariah 14.9. Someone go ahead and read Zechariah 14.9. Keep in mind, this is... This, uh, Zechariah is written after um, some Jews are coming out of exile. It's, uh, Zechariah is written to encourage some of the return exiles to build the second temple. Um, and you get some um, good far eschatology happening in Zechariah uh, to encourage um, God's people on the ground and what they're doing at that moment. Uh, but in this context, we get Zechariah 14, uh, 9. So I'm going to go ahead and read that. Okay, what does that speak of? So, again, I'm picking up on the idea of name here, right? So we talk about not lifting up the name um, of God for worthlessness, worthless things, common things. But this is, what's this talking about? Um, no, probably not directly in this case. Although there are, there are facets here that would connect with that, not directly talking about that. Shema. Yeah. Hero Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. Right. Well, what's it talking about here? What's the context? Even in this one verse, what's kind of what's kind of the framework that he, what's the picture that he's envisioning? Okay, unity of who? The whole earth doing what? Yeah, seeing him as God and invoking and calling on him uh, with one name versus, you know, if you even just think about the Old Testament, all the false gods that are invoked. And even in our own day, the false god of uh, wokeness, the false god of the LGBT community, the false god of individualism, right? Um, but rather what is being talked about here is all of the earth invoking God's name and the one name um, in, a, in a glorifying way. Right? Again, that idea of reverence. This is where history is headed, how we use God's name. And then we can go over to the New Testament, Matthew 6. Go to Matthew 6. Again, all of this is set in the context of how do, we, how do we address God? How do we address God? By what names and titles? And how do we do that well? How do we do that rightly? And so we're just kind of getting that sense of reverence, not lifting it up for the worthless. We know all the world will eventually invoke uh, God's name um, and his character, they will worship the one true God tied to that name, that one name. Uh, okay, Matthew 6, 9, Lord's Prayer, very first verse. Someone go ahead and read ver Matthew 6, 9. Okay, now I'm picking up on the name language again, okay? So what is being asked here in prayer? So we're speaking to God, but what is being prayed for? Yeah, but his name be holy, which means what? Revered, yes. Uh, back to, oh, set apart, and back to even what Tony was saying earlier, right? Not um, held common, right? That's the, the antithesis of holiness is commonness, right? Uh, we see that in Leviticus. We see that in the Old Testament uh, a lot. So uh, when we call, we want God's name to be reverenced as holy. We want it to be um, held high as utterly uncommon, um, as utterly incomparable, um, which is a missionary prayer, if you think about it, right? Tie that together with Zechariah 14.9, right? Uh, not all of the earth honors God's name as it should be. Much of the earth lifts it up for the worthless if it invokes the right name at all. Um, but what are we calling for? We want to see God's name and all of that that he ties with his name lifted high, right? So just that kind of setting the groundwork for as we talk about the titles of God and the names of God, uh, we do this reverently. We do this with honor, and we want to meditate on these titles, not in some mystical way, but just that 
um, because God is, um, all of who God is, he's tied to these titles, okay? So let's start walking through some of these, and you've probably heard some of these before. Uh, And the way, um, we make a distinction between titles and names. Uh, For example, some people um, call me, they'll just address me directly as pastor, okay? Is that my name? No, it's not my name, but it is a title, right? What is that title doing? Yes, it is giving respect, but what's it also doing? True, right? And it kind of links with part of my role, right, and function of who I do. It's similar with God. God has, my name is Chris, or Christopher, if you, um, uh, uh, you want to give the full, full name, right? Uh, if I'm in trouble, well, then I get two names, right? <laughs> um, but uh, uh, that idea, it's similar with God's names and titles, so um, there's only a couple of names, personal names, that God applies to himself. Uh, but he has also many titles that emphasize part of who he is. Now, his personal names, even, unlike, um, say, if you just call me Chris, like, that doesn't mean anything. doesn't convey anything about who I am. Differently, though, when God uses his personal names, it does convey something of who he is, if you understand the context in which he gives them, Okay. Uh, but what, the way I've kind of arranged the way we're going to work through these is from more generic titles to then um, personal names. So that's kind of how we're going to walk through this. So let's start with the most common. Um, I don't even know if it's most common by usage, but the most generic, let's say it that way, God. Now, the way uh, that uh, the, the Hebrew word, so you got the Old Testament version and the uh, New Testament version that gets translated into English for God. And in the Old Testament, this is the word El, or Eloah, or Elohim. Okay, you've probably heard Elohim. Uh, That's the more common form of all of those. Okay, in the New Testament, it's Theos. uh, Theos. Now, here's the thing. This is a title. It is a generic title uh, for God. you You could almost say it like this. It's talking about the deity, right? It's just emphasizing or speaking of God's godness, okay? Now, remember, and we'll call back from Romans 1.18, uh, we've gone to that passage many, many times, um, do, does everyone have a sense of deity? Yes, God's put it in their hearts, and he's also revealed it through the creation, right? Uh, through the creation, his what? Eternal power and, do you remember? Divine nature, right, has been clearly perceived. So at least we can say, even from the scriptures, that everyone on planet Earth um, has a sense of the divine, if you want to talk about it in that generic sense, a sense of the deity. Um, And this would be the title that um, even, of course, uh, we know there's one true and living God, uh, but uh, this would be kind of the most generic title for him. Uh, Elohim. Now, what's interesting here, here's a little grammar for you. Elohim is plural. Now, some people say, oh, it's plural. That means that this is a hint of the Trinity in the Old Testament, because this is used a lot. Uh, That's probably not the case, because what Hebrew does, we don't do this in English, but what Hebrew does, even with other words, is sometimes it will speak of a singular uh, referent uh, with a plural form. And the reason that that would happen, and this is the way it happens in respect to God, um, is the person, in this case God, is so thoroughly characterized by the qualities of the noun in plural. So it's using the plural form in a sort of respect and exaltation. Sort of. It's sort of like the royal we, right? You guys ever hear that, um, uh, where you've, um, you hear a king or a talking about, and they'll talk about themselves in the form of we um, to kind of emphasize their exaltation and who they are. It's sort of like that, uh, slightly different. What we could say is Elohim 
Uh, and uh, Elohim is used with singular verbs in the, the, the Hebrew scriptures. So we know it's talking about one, the oneness of who God is. And I want, want, let me just take an aside. All of the titles and names we're talking about, we're not focusing on the persons of the Trinity. We're talking about the one essence and nature of God. So just to make that clear, we're not going to talk about, eventually we'll talk about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we're just talking about uh, the oneness of who God is in all of these titles and names. But Elohim essentially is just emphasizing God's supreme godness. Uh, he is the one true God, uh, the supreme God. The word Elohim is actually also used of angels occasionally and false gods. The plural form will be used uh, for plural deities uh, in the um, Old Testament. But when it's used of God, singular, the one true and living God, it's just kind of emphasizing his supreme godness, okay? Uh, I want to give you examples of um, each one of these as we walk through them. For this one, go to Genesis 1. Um, someone read 1, 1 through 5. Genesis 1 1. Okay, so all of those instances of God that are used here, that's Elohim, okay? Uh, Elohim created um, the heavens and the earth. Elohim said, let there be light, um, okay? Um, and these are just examples of what we were talking about. This is the, the generic title for who God is, but um, it, it, that plural form, it's emphasizing his godness, right? His supreme godness. He's so thoroughly characterized by being divine, um, he, um, we, we use that plural form. How does this, now, this is notional knowledge. Everything we've said so far, this is just notion, right? Um, how do we take this notional knowledge, and how does this, we move it from our heads to our hearts, even with just this generic title of God, Elohim? Yeah. Yeah. And what would we just meditate on? Uh, even in just t this t title of for God. Okay, yeah. In this example, certainly his creation, um, you know, we can meditate on his supremacy. There are other supernatural forces in the world, aren't there? There are angels, there are demons, and, uh, and even scripture calls them gods, little case G, in, in that kind of sense, in a divine sense, but not in the sense that God is, there is only one true and living God, the supreme God, the, the ultimate, eternal, ever-existing one. So even just thinking about that and the supremacy, the oneness, the ultimate exaltation of this one and true God, when you just sit and kind of chew on that for a few minutes, now you're moving that notional knowledge into your heart because your heart should start to warm and say, that's amazing and awesome, and I want to praise this one true and supreme um, God. Does that make sense? Uh, so we're walking through these, we're gaining notional knowledge, but we always want to kind of reflect, how do we transition it? How do we transition it from the head to the heart? And it takes work, meditation, uh, mumbling to yourself under your breath. That's kind of one of the words for um, meditation in the Old Testament, um, like you're thinking about it, okay? Any other idea, uh, questions about Elohim? as a title for, for God, or theos. Remember, theos is the New Testament equivalent for that. All right, next one. Uh, again, trying to move from kind of more generic to more personal. Uh, here's one for New Testament. Go to uh, Revelation 15. Genesis to Revelation. There we go. Yeah. 
titles, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, these are, this is still a title. Um, you know, and they kind of shade off to an extent into one another, but yeah, I'm trying to move from titles to eventually we'll get into personal names. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, there's two things with that. Um, so, you will come across some of those instances where you get lowercase g, and now you're not talking about, uh, like in the Psalms, or even in Jesus will quote a Psalm in the New Testament. Um, he said they were gods to whom Scripture came. And so now you're, but it's pretty obvious, right, you know, in those instances, okay? However, uh, there's another complication in our English translations. And we're going to talk about that this more uh, once we get to talking about Yahweh. But we're not going to talk about Yahweh today. We're going to talk about him next week uh, as far as the name Yahweh. But um, in, briefly, there are the you know that when um, most English translations will render the personal name Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D. However, there are instances where um, uh, you will also have another title for God that also is translated Lord, capital L, lowercase O-R-D. And if you were to read that in English, you would read uh, Lord, Lord, like if you were just, just sounded out. So rather than doing that, um, some translations, I think the ESV does this, will instead of just double up, double, doubling up on Lord, Lord, they will say Lord God. And you will see God in capital G-O-D. Uh, and in that case, it's not Elohim, it's Yahweh. It's not confusing at all, is it? Um, this is part of the problem of the difficulty of moving from one language into another and how do you do that well. But, uh, but in most cases, yes, you see capital G, lowercase O-D, uh, then you're, you're talking Elohim. Or L or Aloha, but some form of that base root um, um, idea of L. Okay? Good, good question. All right, uh, so we're in Revelation 15, uh, 3 through 4. We're still talking about titles. Someone read Revelation 15, 3 through 4. Okay, now there's actually lots of titles going on for God in this section. The one I want to draw your attention to is Almighty. Almighty. Um, and this is the Greek word pantokrator. Pantokrator. Um, all, panta is all and krator is mighty. So, Almighty. Almighty is perfectly legitimate and good representation of this word. So, when you think and we talk about God as Almighty, what is being emphasized? And you can kind of even see it here in the context. His strength and power, right? And you can see that even in this passage, um, certainly his holiness, but his righteous acts, his deeds um, that he does. But yeah, his power, his might. Uh, we call God Almighty. Uh, and when we are invoking God's, that as a title for God, as Almighty, we are emphasizing, we are ascribing to him his omnipotence. His, his great and awesome and unlimited power to do whatever he would choose to do uh, and whatever is within his character to do. Um, and so that's just another title. Okay, so uh, how do we move that notional knowledge into our hearts? Mm-hmm. 
Sure. Sure. And that goes back to, it's not just the title, but it's what gets tied to the title, right? Um, and so uh, the title itself, we're emphasizing God's greatness, his power, but then you can even start to think, well, how can I see God's power manifested? And we can see it through things like the Exodus. We can especially see it through the cross. Um, but so now you're taking this title and you're thinking about what God is tying to it. But then now you, you know, in response, right, we want to respond, uh, you know, you're, you can, ad- you address God as almighty and you're, you're, you're not just doing it as an empty title, but now you're filling it with that understanding of, of God's might, God's attributes, God, what God has done. And so now you've taken that notional knowledge and you've transformed it into worship, uh, into affection. Does that make sense? Okay. Questions on Pantocrator, Almighty. It's a great word. Uh, actually, uh, maybe it's not this word. I think some of the emperors were called Pantocrator. Uh, I have to double check that, but it's um, certainly a title of supremacy. Okay, next one. This one's actually only used two times. New Testament. It's a New Testament word, so we got a Greek word. Despotes. What does that sound like? Despot. Um, and uh, actually, there's, uh, there's, there's that uh, overlap here. So despotes is one who has legal control and authority over persons, such as subjects or slaves usually gets translated in English as lord or master, which makes sense. Uh, uh, here's another dictionary on this. Absolute master, sovereign, despot, emperor, uh, uh, omnipotent lord um, of gods, right? So the, uh, the, the quality um, that's being tied to this title is uh, legal control and authority. Legal control and authority. Uh, here's... Uh, there's two passages where you show, show this up. Well, let's go, I think it's only this, these two, I'm pretty sure. Uh, uh, usually master. Lord or master will be used. Uh, we'll, we'll, we're going to go to the English to see this. So go to Acts 4.24. Problem is, is this has uh, overlap with another word that's translated Lord and master too. Um, but this one emphasizes something slightly different. It's about ownership and control. Ownership and control. Um, Acts 4.24 So this is early church. Um, they are, uh, persecution has happened. The, I think this is right after the apostles have been arrested and released. Um, Acts 4.24. They're gathered together after all of this. Um, uh, and so someone just read Acts 4.24. So here, uh, what, what, what did your translation read? Um, Lord, O Lord? Okay, O Lord, I've got Sovereign Lord in the ESV. What is, N, uh, was that NAS, Eden? Okay, so that was NAS. Anyone got anything different? Yeah, Lord. So it, it's, it's that, it is the word despotes, um, um, but it's emphasizing authority and control, right? And you see that here because it's being tied with uh, God's creation of power, right? His lordship over everything. Um, so it is one of those terms that, that emphasizes that. Here's another one. Go to 2 Peter. Second Peter uh, 2.1. Someone read that. So here, that word for master there, that's despotes. What, uh, in what sense is God's ownership and authority and control being emphasized here? Over what is his, you know, last one we saw, it was God's mastery, his ownership of the creation. Here, what, 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 what is he owning here? 
people, right? Even false prophets, even those who have apostatized in the sense that, like, at least they claim, these people who apostatized claim that, uh, you know, God was um, their owner, their master. They ultimately showed he wasn't, but uh, they're denying him as that master. But still, you see that, um, that understanding of God is master, and here we would say he's master of those who claim Christ, right? He's owner. Uh, he had legal right over those who uh, belong to him in a redemptive sense. These people are denying that, but um, it holds true for those who are in Christ, right, that he is their master, their owner in a particular way. Um, so, again, only used a couple times, but and it usually gets translated Lord or Master, the same as, um, and this is where, again, the translation is um, difficult sometimes, uh, another Greek and Hebrew uh, word, uh, kurios, kurios. Uh, kurios uh, is the New Testament word for a Lord. The Old Testament title, and this is where things get complicated again a little bit, or it will, um, uh, Adonai, Adonai. So Adon is the Hebrew word for Lord or Master. It's the equivalent of the Greek New Testament word kurios. But there is a very particular form of Adon in the Old Testament, Adonai, which is only used with reference to God. Um, It's kind of similar in the sense that, um, so it's emphasizing God's um, lordship, his mastery. It's a little bit different than the last word we looked at because it's more about the the lordship of a king. Um, So the last one, despotase, emphasized more like uh, a legal authority and control. Uh, it's definitely overlaps with this word, adon, uh, kurios, but it's, um, this word is more emphasizing that kind of kingly rule over a sphere, right? Some sort of sphere of authority. Um, and so when you've got adonai, you could basically translate that as my lord, my lord. So that little I on the, adon is lord, I on the end of it is basically um, means my. So you've got my Lord speaking to God. It's a plural form, kind of like Elohim, in that it is emphasizing uh, the, that God is so fully characterized by lordship and mastery uh, and a sovereignty over a particular, well, all of what he rules over. Okay, uh, Let's see an example of this. Go to Genesis. Going back to the Old Testament, we're going to look at Adonai. Genesis 18, ladies from the women's Bible study have been here recently, Um, and Genesis 18, uh, Abraham encounters these three strangers, it turns out one of them is a theophany, uh, a a visual manifestation of God, and the other two are angels, okay? Um, But... We get down to verse 27, and the two angels are heading off towards Sodom and Gomorrah, and then God and um, this visual manifestation of God, uh, they stand and talk. Um, God, uh, Abraham is talking with God. But notice how he addresses them. Um, so do, 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 do. let's read verse 27. Let's just read verse 27 through the end of the chapter. So I'm going to go ahead and do that.
is actually a good passage to illustrate two things. One, um, so everything up through verse 32, you've got Abraham addressing God as Adonai, my Lord, my master, right? But divine, right? And what is Abraham emphasizing by using that title for God? Yeah, well, I mean, certainly, but even what what is why is Abraham invoking like my Lord, my Master? Yes, uh, Abraham is recognizing God as his Master, but also like what is Abraham asking God to do? Right. So there's this kind of he's he's hoping to save Lot ultimately because he knows Lot's there, right? And so he's like. But, uh, but he's kind of get he's kind of backdooring the whole thing but he's recognizing he's recognizing God's lordship his authority to do what he's about to do to Sodom and Gomorrah right um, and so it's not only that he's Abraham's Lord he's he's very um, rightly deferential but he's emphasizing God's authority and control over all of this does that make sense um, so that's Adonai in the new... T- now, here's where it gets complicated. Did you notice a difference from 31 through 32? Or, excuse me, from 27 to 32? And then what happens in the 33? Yeah, capitalized. So now that's Yahweh's name. Um, so this is where it gets very confusing. If I just read that in English, you can't differentiate between the two. Um, but we can, and in seeing the text on the page, we can differentiate it. Um, but this also actually hints at what ended up happening, and we'll talk about, uh, we can talk about this more next week, with Yahweh's name. So Yahweh is this, uh, one of the personal names of God. Uh, we could even maybe say the most personal in a lot of uh, ways. Um, but what Jews did, let's say in the second temple period, so like think of, ne- um, so brief, brief overview of Israel's timeline. So you've got, uh, you know, David's king around 1,000 B.C. And then um, you've got the split of the northern and the southern kingdom under Solomon. The northern kingdom goes into exile 722 B.C. The southern kingdom goes into exile 586 B.C. They come back uh, around um, uh, oh, what's uh, Cyrus's decree is 538, I think, um, to come back, rebuild the temple, in 538, and then you get into Nehemiah's time, five, 440s, something like that, uh, and they rebuild the second temple. Well, sometimes after, sometime after they build Nehemiah, uh, 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 or Zerubbabel's temple, excuse me, Zerubbabel's temple, sometime after they rebuild the temple, uh, between that time and the time of Jesus, so we're talking 450 years-ish, 400 years-ish, uh, the Jews stopped pronouncing uh, the vowels that go with the consonants in Yahweh's name out of a misguided, I would argue, reverence uh, for God. Okay, So they don't want to lift up the, na- um, the name of the Lord for the worthless. So they're like, we're not going to even pronounce Yahweh's name. Uh, we're going to eliminate the vowels. Well, um, so what did they read? When they're in the synagogue or whatever gathering they're having, what did they read? Well, every time they would come across um, Yahweh's name, uh, they would, you know, um, they would read Adonai. They would read Adonai. And actually, in the Hebrew text that we have that all over, like, our Old Testament translations are based on, uh, you have the consonants for Yahweh's name, but the vowels are the vowels for Adonai. And what that's supposed to do is it's supposed to key the person who's reading uh, in, um, to not read God, the divine name, but to read Adonai, which continues till this day. Well, what does Adonai mean? Adonai means Lord. And so that's even carried over in, right to this day in our English translations, where you've got lower ca- uh, capital L, lowercase O-R-D, and then capital L-O-R-D, uh, the one representing Yahweh and the one representing Adonai. But you can see how this is going to get really confusing really quickly, right? Uh, and that's why some of the more recent English translations have tried to go back and actually, um, uh, you know, use uh, Yahweh and put, uh, that's the majority of scholars believe that that's how God's name is pronounced. Uh, 
There's still dispute, actually, about it. I was reading about that this, this last week. Very interesting. Um, but uh, um, you can kind of see it illustrated in this passage. So in your English Bibles, what it boils down to is when you see a capital L, lowercase o-r-d, you're talking Adonai. When you see a capital L-O-R-D, you're talking Yahweh. Now, what's hard is when you get to the New Testament. Because when you get to the New Testament, um, the Jews by that time are not saying Yahweh's name. They're just using the Adonai or the Greek equivalent for Adonai, which is kurios, Lord. Uh, uh, kappa, Upsilon, Rho, <laughs> sorry, uh, 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 <laughs> K-U-R, um, uh, oh no, sorry, it would norm, in, in English it would be, um, in, or Latin characters, it would be K-Y-R-I-O-S. Um, yeah. Uh, so you'll see in like Latin, some Latin um, uh, you know, songs or whatever, uh, Curie, uh, Curie Elson or whatever, um, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing. So, but in any case, it gets complicated when you get to the New Testament because at that time, like, no one's saying Yahweh, and instead they're saying Adonai or the Greek equivalent, Kurios. So what's interesting then is when um, Jesus is described as Kurios in certain contexts, now, we've seen in Matthew, sometimes it's just a polite designation like sir or master, but sometimes um, in the New Testament, especially in the letters, you're going to see that really they're using kurios because they're seeing Jesus as Yahweh. Um, and so, but it gets fairly complicated unless you like <laughs> are tracing all of like where this is going and what's going, happening, okay? What questions do you want to ask at this point? We'll talk more about it next week, but I just want to kind of give you the ground rules here. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 So you'll see Jewish um, people um, who are sensitive to that. They won't even write God, even though that's not a name. That's a title for God. Um, and they will they will drop the O. They will drop the vowel, but keep the consonants because they don't even want to pronounce that, which is just. See, that's where you're going. We, you can go wrong with titles and names because you can hyper-reverence them um, and make them mystical. This isn't mystical. We do want to be reverential in how we use God's name and how we apply titles. Uh, and we do want to call him these things. He's, remember what we said last week. God is given, using human language, ways that we can speak to him and about him. So even in his titles... He is giving us language and concepts to rightly talk about him. Uh, and so when you just say, well, I'm not going to use that because I'm, I'm so spiritual that I'm not going to use that name. Like, well, you're, you're totally missing the point, And you're totally missing the point of what God gave you that name for. Still be careful with it. But you want to be reverential with it. Um, but you, you, don't, it, you don't mysticize it, um, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we were talking, all of that was under the heading of Adonai Kurios. We're emphasizing God's lordship, his authority over a sphere. So when I address God as uh, Adonai, or um, in English we would just say my lord, right? We would just say that, my lord. Uh, and we use lord all the time, don't we? But when we use it, we don't want to just use it flippantly. We want to think about I am, I am expressing that God has authority. He has authority over me, um, and he is Lord over me, and he is Lord over all, right? And so now when you think about that, you actively think about that in your mind, you're moving it from notional knowledge or just an empty title uh, or catchword for God to now, okay, we're using it with reverence, okay? Does this make sense? Okay, any question? We're going to stop there. Uh, we'll talk more, next week we'll talk about the personal names of God. So we'll talk about Shaddai and um, uh, Yahweh, um, and we'll go from there. But any questions before we stop? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, uh, it seems like from what I was reading that 
scholars, sometime between when Zerubbabel builds his temple and Jesus' time, somewhere in there, um, it became the, the pattern and the, uh, to keep the consonants but eliminate the vowels. Okay. Now, uh, one other thing I forgot to mention about this. Any of you have, like, uh, I don't know if they did this in the older King James, but they used to do it in the American Standard Version, which is an older, like, 1900s-ish um, translation, Jehovah. Uh, Jehovah is actually what they did is they took the consonants uh, in the Hebrew, and then they just read them with the, the vowels that the, the scribes had put under those consonants. Well, remember, those vowels are for Adonai. So what they did, that's where you get the pronunciation Jehovah, is taking the consonants of Yahweh's name and pronouncing them with the vowels of Adonai's name. So that's where you get Jehovah. But it's, totally, it's a totally a wrong reading of what is actually happening, what the scribes are doing. So Jehovah is inaccurate. Um, it is a wrong way of um, articulating God's name. It's just mistaken. Um, people were mistaken, and so they did their best with what they had at the time, and then they, they were just mistaken in how it all worked. So, All right, let's uh, go ahead and pray. Lord God, the supreme God, the almighty God, our Lord, you are awesome and great. You own us. You own everyone. You own all creation. And you have sovereign rule and authority. God, your name is awesome, not just because of the titles that we get to use to talk to you, but because of what you've done and who you are that you tie to your name. And Lord, we come this morning, or we will come, we will gather as a church here, and we will sing your name, and we will hear your name preached, and we will pray to you corporately. Lord, help us to do these things um, reverently. Lord, help us to not lift up during the week your name for the worthless, but Lord, to, to, um, to um, keep your name uncommon, utterly uncommon, because of who you are. Lord, we thank you for rescuing us such that we have a peaceful relationship with you through Jesus, such that we know you, we can love you, we can speak to you, we thank you for giving us language that we can speak to you with. Lord, let us love you more and more. Help us to use your titles rightly, to think of them, not just to have them be empty words, um, but to use them with reverence. Not in a mystical sense, like the Israelites did, but, or the Jews of later times did, but to, to do it rightly, reverently. And we ask these things and pray them in the name of Jesus. Amen.